Sholem Aleichem, welcome to the Schmooze. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Andy Statman. The history of Klezmer Revival is in large part the story of Andy Statman, whose 1979 album, Jewish Klezmer Music, recorded with Zev Feldman, literally announced the return of the forgotten music of the old world steddles to the outside world. Since then, Andy, who earned the sonorities of the music firsthand from immigrant-era musician Dave Taras, has immersed himself in the music of the Hasidim. Whether he's playing mandolin or one of the clarinets that Taras bequeathed to him, Andy performs a singular contemporary fusion of Jewish jazz and Americana styles, a genre that this National Heritage Fellow and Grammy nominee owns with his longtime musical partners, bassist Jimmy Whitney and drummer Larry Eagle. Welcome, Andy. Hi, thank you. Um, so delighted to have you here, and uh, we're counting the days, weeks, until you arrive for Yidstock. We're thrilled that you'll be on stage here. Thanks I, very much. I wonder... Um, you are a legend, and there's a lot of buzz in town, I should tell you. Um, I wonder how you found your way to klezmer or Jewish music, whichever way you want to label it, no pun intended. Um, so how did this all come about? Well, you know, I heard this music growing up as a child, and uh, at family gatherings, you know, we would, um, uh, you know, put on these records, which, um, you know, were Jewish instrumental records, which is, I guess, what they now call klezmer music. And, uh, you know, we dance, you know, we get get together and dance at family gatherings and these things. And um, so I heard it as a child, and uh, a little boy went to a Talmud Torah, and the uh, rabbi there, um, you know, sang what would turn out to be Hasidic Nagunim. I didn't, you know, just to teach us Aleph Bass and uh, other, you know, basic uh, skills. So, um, you know, so I had that music, you know, in my background, you know, pretty much my whole life. And did you pick up an instrument early on? You know, I fooled around with a few different instruments, but I got very interested in bluegrass uh, in my preteen years and um, sort of immersed myself in, in, in that study and, and in that world. So, um, you know, I was playing in bluegrass bands and doing concerts for about the time I was 15, actually 14. And 1979 for Klezmer is a pretty pivotal time, yes? Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, you know. Well, I, I mean, it seems like there was so much going on with Revival, and you were at the forefront of it. I know Hankus Netsky, Frank London, you know, there were a lot of you. Eleanor Reza, um were beginning to, you know, tap into those roots and kind of evolve the music. And I wonder what it you was know, like. Well, you know, I never can, you know, consider it to be a revival or, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, and I wasn't really looking to revive anything. Um, you know, I had been, uh, you know, listening to music, particularly, you know, when I, um, you know, from being into bluegrass, I got very much into different, you know, into jazz. And uh, back in the... Uh, you know, late 60s, um, you know, jazz was going through its, you know, what they used to call free music and, and uh, you know, looking to other cultures for different, um, you know, modalities and ways of expression. And, um, uh, you know, also into, you know, different, um, you know, religious beliefs. And, um, you know, so I was obviously, in, you know, influenced by that. And, um 
you know, I, I be- began studying um, some different types of ethnic music. I was studying, uh, you know, classical Azerbaijani music, playing guitar. I was very interested in Thulam and, and all these musics, uh, um, you know, the music from Epirus. And I studied with Perlis Halkias and, um, you know, numerous others. But, um, you know, at one point it became, you know, um, you know, I had learned some of these, you know, these Jewish instrumental tunes. And at one point it became... You know, as I was beginning to explore my own, um, you know, family history and my own religious identity, I, I realized that, um, you know, at this point I, I was already a, uh, you know, professional musician and, you know, I had been, you know, recording and touring and, um, you know, I, I saw that there was this really great music that was part of my own heritage and, uh, you know, in fact, had I been born in Europe, you know, I very might be playing the music, but the music was was very, um, you know, moving to me. And I, I said, "There's no one else really doing this, um, as far as I knew." And uh, you know, I wanted to pursue it, so just just to keep it alive for myself, having nothing nothing to do with revival or anything like that. Yeah, and I I, I go back to what you said about revival. I mean, I think my exposure to klezmer here at the Yiddish Book Center through Yidstock. Um, has made me realize that you know it's it's an evolution. I mean, it naturally finds new riffs and new it picks up depending on where it is, which is true of so much of um, Jewish culture. It's informed by the time, it's informed by the place, and it feels as though what you're doing and what so many others were doing was a natural progression. Well, the thing is, is that it's it's. In many ways, that music is really of a certain time and place, and and uh, I really think already by the, you know, the teens and twenties, that that music was was already sort of um, uh, not meeting the, me- the the needs of the community as the, the community you know assimilated more. I, I think that um, you know uh, already in, in the twenties, you know, th- that sound was um, uh, sort of dying out and becoming. Um, at least for parts of the public, you know, less a means of expression as as a means of of nostalgia or or identity. Mm-hmm. You know, it was something that maybe wasn't really around as much anymore, or maybe more importantly, something that was once more part of their lives that 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 was sort of not as much a part of their lives. Um, so, I, so I think as as things be, be, began to change, I think the music sort of, um, you know, it, it it became a bit, you know, it became dormant and. Um, you know, that's, uh, I guess, in a nutshell, what, what happened. And you studied with Dave Terrace, correct? Yeah. So what was that like, and, and what was the influence for you or the collaboration? Well, he was, um, you know, he was a, uh, you know, when I met him, he was in basically more or less retired, you could say semi-retired, and... Um, you know, I remember I went out to see him and I trans- transcribed some of his tunes and uh, played them for him on the saxophone and the mandolin. And uh, he was sort of amazed, first of all, that, that someone in his, in his you know, mid-twenties would be interested in this music, let alone, you know, be able to transcribe it. And, uh, you know, from going back to my early teens, you know, I was very used to transcribing things off, uh, off old recordings, so it wasn't, wasn't such a, a big deal for me. Um, and, uh, we sort of 
hit it off initially, and then I remember I had I went down to Nashville. Um, I, I was heard about a guy named Vassar Clements. I don't know if you've ever heard of Vassar. Oh, yes. An, an amazing fiddle player. Yeah. So, I was, you know, when, uh, so I was on the road with him for a few months. When I came back, I wound up living in Brighton, and he had moved, you know, you know, to, uh, I guess, the Brighton-Coney Island border. And, uh, you know, we were basically neighbors. I went over to see him. He gave me, a, you know, an Albert system clarinet, basically. I mean, and... Uh, we, uh, you know, we started in, and you know, he was sort of very grand grandfatherly uh, to me, and um, you know, I just, you know, I was there, you know, for hours at a time. I'd go there, I'd take him to the barber. I remember going with him, you know, to the hospital to pick up medicine. You know, just, you know, I, I, I was there just all the time, and basically, he had no um, real system of teaching. I would just l- learn songs off. Um, uh, yeah, Henry Spiesnick was very um, generous, and he, he had access to um, a huge amount of, uh, you know, uh, you know, Jewish instrumental 78s, and, and would make copies for me, and I would pick everything out, and uh, I, would, I would play it for days, you know, like, a typical thing would be I would go to, to Dave's house, and, um, you know, we'd sit down, and, and his wife would make tea, and give us some, you know, she'd make some cookies, and we'd talk for a while, and, and, uh, and then at some point, maybe an hour, an hour and a half later, he'd, he'd walk in, walk out of the room and come back with his clarinet, and and he'd just play for me, and uh, <laughs> I, you know, and, and and you know, he'd just play for me for you know for like an hour, an hour and a half, you know, and and I said, oh Dave, by the way, uh, how, how I couldn't figure this out. How do you finger this? Or I said, you know, would you play it this way or play it that way? And he said, oh, you only play it this way, never that way. You know, he would, and. Um, you know, a, a lot of times in his playing for me, he would he would make very um, poignant hand gestures, which um, would really um, or facial expressions, which would really um, uh, transfer a lot of nonverbal, you know, information that I could never get otherwise. But that was um, incredibly valuable in understanding, you know, what's going on with the music and. Uh, and how to uh, how to interpret it, and um, it's interesting. Many years, you know, Dave came from a Hasidic family, and uh, you know, later when I was davening in Hasidic, uh, you know, shuls, I would I would see the old timers making the exact same <laughs> same hand gestures. You know, it was it's you know, it's it's uh, that that's where the music is coming from. So anyway, so he would, um, you know, he was very. Um, you know, and ask some questions, all, all sorts of things, and, and you know, and, and the families got close. Figured out that that um, you know my father's side of the family is from Ukraine, not far from where he was from, and we figured out there was we were very distantly related. <laughs> but uh, he was great. He was he was really you know gave me a bunch of clarinets and uh, you know wrote. I I wanted to get him to write music again, so I was able to get a uh, small grant from the record company I, I was recording for, and that sort of stimulated him in, in, into into writing a whole bunch of tunes near the end of his life, and, uh, you know, we, we got the, um, you know, through Ethel uh, uh, Raymond Martin Koenig, you know, Zev and I got the grant to uh, produce his last record in some concerts, and, uh, you know, Dave was just... Um, you know, he was he was really wonderful, really, really, really fantastic person. What an amazing 
story to be able to connect like that. Um, I mean, for both of you, I, it must have been incredibly profound, fun, uh, and changing uh, in terms of the direction that you took, I would imagine. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's um, you know, the, the, the um, you know, if, if you can have a, a mentor who's part of the Masora, you know, um, it's, it's very, very helpful. You know, it, 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 that doesn't mean you can't do it without that. But, uh, you know, I feel very unfortunate that I, that I was able to meet him and, and sort of be, you know, part of that chain. And, uh, you know, he, he sort of looked to me at, to sort of uh, carry on for him, but, uh, you know, in my own way. You know, he didn't want me to be a, a, carb, a carbon copy of him. Oh. And, uh, you know, he was, um, you know, he was he was the one and only Dave Towers, and he knew that. And uh, you know, uh, he uh, you know, but he had definite opinions about ways things should be done. Um, but uh, was, you know, also that yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Was there one particular thing that you would say he did to influence you or push you in a direction? Um. Well, just being with him, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> listening to play and, 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 and watching his body language and how he would accentuate his body language during his playing to, to show me certain things, um, aside from certain technical tricks, you know, um, having to do with the Albert system or, um, uh, you know, or, or sort of understanding there's in, in, um, in, you know the Jewish instrumental tradition. There's really this sort of it's unwritten, unwritten um, language of phrasing and ornamentation, and um, it's very specific. But it, it, you can't really write it down. But it's if 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 you do thing, if you ornament a phrase one way, the next way you ornament a phrase has has to follow it in sort of logical sequence, and it's. Um, that's really the whole art to understanding how to interpret the music and how to phrase the music. And um, he's very specific in, in that. That, that that's, uh, And that's sort of what, that's really what, that's what the music is all about, you know, is understanding the tone and the phrasing and the ornamentation as, as a way of bringing out the, the feeling, also having, having the heart and having the feeling of, of what the melody is and understanding the traditional way to... Uh, to bring it out. So that's, that's, um, you know, I spent, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours with it, you know, I mean, so that's, so I, you know, so that stuff sort of, sort of seeped in aside from my emotional and listening to, uh, you know, to, to, you know, just all, all the, the, um, um, you know, tapes of 78s that I got, you know, I was, I was equally influenced by, you know, Nostella Brandwine and, uh, you know, all, all the other great clarinetists and, and, and all the great bands. And, uh, you know, I was sort of, uh, you know, very lucky to be able to, uh, you know, to spend time with him. He, he was great. He was absolutely fantastic. It, this may be a hard question to ask you, um, but where do you think you fit into the, the landscape of Jewish music? Um... In, in terms, of what what do you mean? In terms of your work, um, in terms of what came before you and what you're doing, um, to again define and your own music, but drawing from the roots. Um, you know, I mean, I'm 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 involved in so many different um, 
types of, of, of music, you know, let alone my own music, which, which is a reflection of, um, you know, everything that I've done. So it's, it's really, um, you know, at this point, I'm, I, I, I don't really deal so much with, with, with labels. I, I just deal with, with, with quality of, uh, of music. So, you know, I mean, like I, I've, you know, also had the, uh, you know, the, 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 um, I was fortunate to be able to produce the last uh, two recordings of uh, of uh, Reb Sin Shanka, who's probably the the foremost, uh, you know, Hasidic um, chazan and and composer, you know, um, who is, um, you know, inherited the whole Mudrit tradition of of uh, you know thousands of Nibunim and was considered to be the, you know, until his death a, a few months ago, you know, the prime interpreter let alone, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of his own melodies. And, uh, you know, um, you know, I, you know, I, I'm just sort of in, in, into the music. I, I'm not so much into, into trying to, to limit it, you know, uh, but, you know, what I, what I try and do, which is something that I learned from my bluegrass days, is that I try and, if I'm trying to learn a style, I try and really learn it exactly, you know, um, you know, it would be, how you know how long certain notes would be held exactly what the ornamentation was I, you know try to sound exactly what it was on the old recordings and um you know uh seek people out if I can't do it who who know how to do it and um you know I think you have to really in any style sort of really learn the language so in 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 terms of um you know what they call klezmer today you know I mean I, I learned how to how to, um, you know, speak that language in a traditional way. And basically, as I see it, is, is classical music is just an a, a instrumental counterpoint to uh, Hasidic vocal music. And uh, so when I started, you know, playing, you know, quote-unquote Hasidic music, I, I knew exactly, you know, what to do and how to phrase it. And, uh, you know, I've been involved with, with a few different rebbers, and, and they, they, they all... You know, great composers and singers, and um, you know, I've just been very fortunate that I've been able to be uh, exposed to to a whole wealth of um, you know, really great music and 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 very deep music going back, you know, pretty far. So, um, but in terms of how I fit into the landscape, I've, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, I just sort of do what I do. So, um, uh, and you know. We're looking forward to seeing what, how you do what you do when you bring the Andy Statman Trio here to Yidstock, which is, um, you'll be performing Sunday, July 16th, 7.30 p.m. Um, for our listeners to learn more and to purchase tickets while they last, because I can tell you this concert is almost sold out. <laughs> um, oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Oh, such, and, such excitement about the fact that you're going to be here for Yidstock. Yeah, we're, we're you know we'll we'll um, you know we're doing a whole variety of of, uh, of music you know that, that that the trio generally does you know and uh, you know this trio has been together for about eighteen years so um, you know uh, there's this sort of um, you know very rarely do you have what they call working bands around anymore you know bands with, with people who've worked together mm-hmm. so much for, for such a long time and uh, you know. It's uh, so this is you know there's a special sort of um, conversation that goes on between the three of us. So That's it's uh, great. It's great. Well, we look forward to welcoming you um, again for our listeners. Uh, visit yiddishbookcenter.org backslash 
Yidstock, and you'll learn more about this and the other events, part of Yidstock's festival, July 13th through 16th. So thanks again, Andy, and we look forward to welcoming you to the shtetl. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. This episode is produced by me, Alexa Sewing. And until next time, be well and be healthy.